U.S. Army Chemical Warfare Clipboard, whose log sheet carried a heading for Migration Route. She recorded the date, the weather, and the north-by-northwest compass heading that this Falcon, the last of 17 transmitter-bearing peregrines she'd been assigned to monitor, had chosen as it left the Gulf's barrier islands. While Janice wrote, for a few more minutes, Vos flew on. I could see that, even though we knew her mostly from her relayed transmitter signal, it was hard for him to leave the Falcon flickering along below, now embarked on a quest toward her almost inconceivably distant home. Then Janice looked up, and in irritation motioned for George to go ahead and turn. Reluctantly, he banked us slowly around, descending across the bay to Cameron County Airfield and to what, for me, had suddenly become a different world. Smaller, too, because, even with my daily chance to capture and ban falcons as a part of a peregrine research team, seeing the metamorphosis that migration had brought about in one of the creatures I had watched, even captured on the tidal flats, was astonishing. After seeing the way they could change, Padre's peregrines were no longer simply wily raptors to be lured in for banding. They were part of something larger, icons of something ancient, powerful. Global as the tides, I thought, though at the moment all I could come up with for comparison was gazing, as a kid in the port of Houston, at ocean-going tankers from Liberia, freighters from Singapore, Buenos Aires, and Dakar, places I knew about but never hoped to see. What was frustrating was that we had not really needed to turn back. With our powerful telemetry receiver, I was sure the three of us could have gone farther just kept on, aloft with one of these radio-tagged falcons, maybe for days. But neither Janice nor her tightly managed military program would ever make that choice. She'd been assigned only to determine what percentage of the Arctic peregrines that migrated up from the tropics every spring, then traveled northeast from the Gulf Coast, or migrated westward, maybe to Alaska. As a mere falcon trapper's helper, with no role at all in Chase's study, I had barely maneuvered my way on to this last radio tracking flight. And though I desperately wanted to go up again, Janice's program already had its data. She was scheduled to move on to another assignment, and today was her final mission. Maybe, I offered, I could keep flying with Vos, a long, silver-topped column of a man people took for Janice's dad. But Janice made it clear that after she left Padre, the Army wasn't about to leave its sophisticated radio tracking gear with anyone, especially, I gathered, leave it with either George or me. Though the military had rented Vos's little plane, to the project's buttoned-down administrators, George could hardly have offered a less appropriate job profile. As a World War II combat flight instructor, he was a generation older than even the parents of his Army supervisors, and he'd logged more wartime military hours and on-the-edge light plane aviation time than all his bosses put together. But beyond an occasional mention of his barnstorming years, none of his supervisors knew about Vos's past, for they had hired him principally because he was the only telemetry-experienced pilot willing to accept their low-paying charter. George's penchant for talking freely about the Army's project also meant he was seen almost as a security risk, and I'd heard, among his close-cropped young bosses, that it was necessary to keep an eye on him, though I couldn't imagine what kind of security breach his tracing the migration route of endangered birds of prey might entail. 
I didn't rate even that much attention. As a writer of herpetology texts, I was no more than the friend of one of the program's directors, Kenton Riddle of the University of Texas's Bastrop Science Center. I'd managed to hitch a ride on the radio tracking plane only because storms had flooded the mudflats where we trapped peregrines for his and the Army's research. But after that first flight with George and Janice, I couldn't get the Falcon's incredible journeys out of my mind. And when Chase left Texas two days later, I saw her back onto the flight to Patuxent, Maryland. Then I drove over to Laguna Vista Airfield. Bose was stitching up the sagging cloth of his Cessna's headliner. Customs men, he grumbled, patting the long incisions he was knitting together. United States Customs. Slipped out while I was doing their paperwork and cut up my plane. Looking for drugs. He poked his needle into one side of a long slit. Wouldn't put it past him either, not to make sure they came up with something contraband. I examined the yard-long, Christmas-tree-shaped military antennas which George had cobbled onto the Skyhawk's wing struts, held between hollowed-out chunks of two-by-four and a snarl of radiator hose clamps. The rigging was a little scary, but with no pilot's license, never having even flown a plane, I wasn't in a position to be choosy. Ever think about keeping on, I asked? Just stay up there with one of these falcons. Both said he'd thought about it. He had even followed falcons with earlier researchers and with Janice. He jerked his thumb at the Cessna's back seat, where three Army transmitters lay swaddled in bubble wrap. Still got some radios. But what I'm saying is, this little army deals nothing, not even real aviation. It took Vos a long moment to swing his big frame down from the plane, but he wasn't finished. Let me tell you, after the war, one of the things I did for a living was to go into crash sites, just one helper, build us a board runway 80 yards long. Then we'd mechanic that downed aircraft back together and fly the thing out. He looked at me closely. Certainly I could keep after one of these birds. I raised my brow. Clear across the country? George put down his needle and fishing line thread. Across any country in the world, he said. Falcons only average 50, 60 miles an hour. Anywhere in the world? I took a breath. Vos couldn't know it, but since our first flight, the idea of following one of these creatures wherever its airborne life might lead had become the grandest idea I'd ever had. George shook his head. Military wouldn't approve it, he said. They're waiting for a satellite, due out sometime in the late 90s, that can track these little transmitters. I pictured some electronic warren, glowing with data screens, where a technician sat coolly plotting the intercontinental flight of flesh-and-blood peregrines as they streaked from tropic jungle to arctic steppe. By then, Vos and I and his little Cessna would be irrelevant. Yet for a while now we still had a chance, a chance to be of consequence, to go up with a peregrine, fly with it, and, while mystery still cloaked its realm aloft, share the primal momentum of its dream or instinct or simple fancy. I just didn't know how much any of that might mean to Vos. He was an aviator, not a bird guy, so maybe not much. But he had clearly been disinclined to let that last peregrine go. That, and not having to watch from the sidelines as his share of aviation dwindled into irrelevance, 
Well, it might be enough to draw him in to what was becoming my own overwhelming vision. In any case, it was now or never. I took another breath. How about, well, why not try it on our own? George put his sewing gear back in the toolbox. You know these birds are protected. Some of them endangered. Army'd never give us permission. I looked dead at him. Of course they wouldn't. Both turned away, and I was sure I'd lost him. I had barely met the guy, and there was absolutely no reason for him to defy his military employers in favor of a semi-illicit trip with me. For a while, he studied the Skyhawk's stitched ceiling, which now resembled Frankenstein's forehead. Then, in the same careful way, he looked me over, stroking a mustache that was thin, white, and pointy, Errol Flynn style. A holdover, I guessed, from his adventure flying days. Aviation takes guts, mister. Intestinal fortitude. You were pretty green up there today. In calm air, too. From a battered leather suitcase, George dug a roll of orange surveyor's ribbon. If I don't do this, he explained, draping the pointed prongs of the army antennas with fluorescent streamers, somebody will kill themselves and sue me. He looked over. Can't think why you'd want to follow a falcon in the first place. Want to? Want to follow a peregrine? Maybe all the way to its polar breeding ground? No one had ever done such a thing. But I was talking to the one man in the world who could. I caught George's eye. Same reason you'd want to, I said. Above the skyhawk, big white cumulus were building. And to avoid each other's eyes, we both looked up at them.